Now, my story's not unique. There's thousands of professionals of color who have experiences like mine. A Black Executive Perspective. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's a topic that is often avoided. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A Black Executive Perspective. Now, we got to get this thing right. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love. Implementing the demands of justice and justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. Welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast, a safe space where we discuss all matters related to race, especially race in corporate America. I'm your host, Tony Tidbit. Today commemorates Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, a day traditionally reserved for honoring his remarkable achievements and understanding the significance of celebrating him. However, on this occasion, our focus will shift towards unveiling 11 lesser known facts about MLK and delving into the reason why he remains a continuous, continued source of inspiration for me. To join me in this discussion, is our executive producer, Double A. Double A, what's going on, my friend? What's up, Big Tony? How's it going? It's going great, Ben. You're looking good, man. You energized? I'm feeling great for 2024, baby. Let's All right. I love it. I love it. See, that's what we need. We want to bring the energy. We bring in us a new year, new things, new thoughts, new goals, new pers- pers- perspectives, and we're going to bring all this to you, but we're going to kick it off with, with Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. So let's go into some of these 11 unknown facts. And to be fair, some of these things you might have heard of. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything that we're going to walk you through um, is uh, um, that everybody would be like, I never knew that. I never knew that. And there's probably a couple. There's there's several here that I wasn't aware of, but I want to share them with you because obviously this is a great day for America, uh, honoring Martin Luther King Jr. Um, typically, we always talk about the, all the things that more the the high level stuff um, of what he accomplished um, in difficult times. Um, like I said, today we're going to talk about these eleven uh, unknown uh, facts, but we're going to dive in a little bit deeper in, t- in terms of why we really should be celebrating what he accomplished because to be honest with you, the majority of the majority of us would never ever be where we are today. If it wasn't for his, his dedication, love and fortitude. So let's jump into it. Right. So number one, everybody knows Martin Luther King Jr. Exactly as that Martin Luther King Jr. However, he wasn't born Martin. He was born Michael. Okay. And so was his father because he was named after his father. However, his father made a pilgrimage to Germany and he was learning about the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, and was very inspired by that. So he changed his name and his son name from Michael K 
king to Martin Luther King Sr. and King Jr., which was fascinating. He went on this trip in 1934, I believe it was. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did that. I didn't know that either, right? So, and and they both had already established birth certificate names, and uh, he changed not only his name but also uh, his son, which is MLK Jr. All right, number two, you know, obviously we always look at Martin Luther King as a very uh, 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 intelligent individual, but. I didn't know he skipped a couple of grades um, in school and he ended up having getting this bachelor's bachelor's degree when he was 19 years old. Okay. When he graduated uh, from Morehouse college in 1948 with a degree of sociology. So, you know, and today they don't really do that in school, right? Double A where they don't let you kind of skip grade. You know, you gotta, you you have to be like, it's, I mean, extreme prodigy. Exactly, right? They still do it. Yeah, I think it's more, probably more from a testing standpoint, right? But to go from the third to fifth grade or fifth to eighth grade, you know, but again, it just shows how his intellect and how, um, you know, smart he was. Okay, number three, I didn't know this. Dr. King won a Grammy Award. (laughs) I didn't know that either. Okay, didn't even know that. So in 1971, uh, he won a Grammy after he passed away, uh, and he was awarded the best spoken word album for Why I Oppose the War in Vietnam. So, you know, didn't know that, you know, that is awesome. I, you don't hear a lot about him having a Grammy. Um, so that is really, really great. And this was something I did not know. Okay, so number four. So one of the things um, that, the majority of people, I didn't notice either that he was a big time smoker. All right. He used to smoke cigarettes. I don't know what brand, but he used to smoke, but he hid it from the public and also from his kids because he didn't want them to pick up that bad habit. Right. And, and the, the, uh, the thing is people think that he was smoking a cigarette when he fatally got shot. Um, and then here's number five. You know, we know him as a great orator, right? A great speaker. You know, there's uh, today. You, if you haven't seen him, you can see clips of him, and you know the March on Washington. I have a dream speech. But to be fair, in his first year in college, he didn't do very well in public speaking, right? He actually got a C in class. Okay, he eventually got an A by his final year, but he wasn't known just starting off as a great speaker. It was something that he was able to work at um, to help him become better. So that is interesting because obviously you think that he just, you know, started riffing as soon as he came out the womb. And and unfortunately, that that wasn't the case. Right. Right. Well, you develop. You had to develop. He had to develop. Like he's a human being, like everybody else, right? He was already a genius. So it took him a little time to, you know, you know, learn how to public speak and find that passion. Exactly. But here's the kicker, though, right? Um, That shows that at the end of the day, for for who whoever's in the audience listening to this, and you don't, you're not really a good public speaker or something you want to do. He just shows you that hey. He worked at it, and he was able to 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 perfect it, which is awesome. And and I think ultimately, I mean, I, I mean, this is my my opinion. You know, I think he found. You know, he he had a passion. I think, and when, once he found, like, I wanted, I was, I, when we were gonna have this conversation, I was thinking about, you know, what, what was his turning point? You know what I mean? Like, he had a, had a turning point where he was like, 
I, I, I'm, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it. Anymore. Well, you know and, what I mean? and, and again, though, buddy, I think, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to dive into this after we go. And I don't know, but I'm going to talk about what I, where, you know, he, he first came on the scene mm-hmm. and to your point, which was probably a turning point. Yeah. And, and so that's an excellent point. Excellent point. Okay. So for my Star Trekkies, um, I didn't know this, that, uh, Nichelle Nichols, who played the role of your on the original Star Trek, um, she was considering leaving the show and, and Dr. King told her not to advised her not to, I should say, because she was breaking boundaries by playing a character who didn't conform, conform to black stereotypes. So I didn't even know this. She was looking to leave and he chatted with her and said, Hey, you should stay because you're doing something that's so progressive that, you know, uh, other uh, African-American people can look up to you. And more importantly, you can, by playing on this role on this, this popular show breaks, you know, racial stereotypes from people outside of the black community, which, which was awesome to hear. And I'm, I was a big Star Trek uh, fan back in the day. Now let's, let's go to this, right? The speech that everybody knows about, right? The, um, the speech, uh, in Washington, um, um, which, you know, he gave his I have a dream speech. Well, this is the thing here, right? Obviously, the three major television networks uh, Eric King's speech. And even though he had done a lot of good work, it's really it was really the first time where the majority of Americans actually even saw him speak. And that includes President Kennedy uh, at the time. All right. Um, and then they were blown away by his speech, right? And then three months later, President Kennedy was assassinated. Um, and then, I, and, and I'm pretty sure everybody knows this, Lyndon Johnson, who was the vice president, who became the president, uh, who was the one that actually signed the laws uh, for the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Young Voting, the, excuse me, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, uh, which became the most significant civil rights legislation since Reconstruction. And the significance about this is that, uh, you know, JFK was from Massachusetts. Okay, he was a northerner, northeasterner, northeasterner. Lyndon Johnson was from the south. Okay, and it was one of the reasons why JFK made him uh, uh, vice, vice, president. Uh, vice president, nominated him to be on the ticket because he would help him carry the South, okay? And for a Southerner to be able to help push through the civil rights legislation at that time was significant because he was able to talk to his Southern brothers and sisters who, to be fair, to be fair, was against it, okay? They were against it. And it's, it's, you know, there's a clip um, that... um, People might have seen them not, but after uh, JFK was assassinated, uh, Lyndon Johnson speaks to Congress and um, as he took over. And one of the things that he spoke about was about passing this legislation that President Kennedy had spoke to the country about that he was going to, you know, um, uh, ask con- Congress to act and create, you know, voting rights laws and civil rights laws legislation. And in that clip, uh, when Lyndon Johnson states that everybody stands up and gives them a rounding applause. Right. 
But to be honest, they just did that for a visual standpoint. The majority of, of congressmen in the South, they wasn't, they wasn't for that. Okay, so it's ironic that a Southern, Southern person was able to push that through, um, which was awesome. And obviously, you know, JFK was a great president, but it's just interesting how it played itself out. Uh, here's the other thing, though, right, <clears throat> about the, um, the, the march on, on Washington. Well, let's go here first. Um, and I think some people know this, you know, uh, number nine where Dr. King in Memphis uh, kind of prophesied his, uh, his death. You know, he came down there to, uh, to support the sanitation workers who were trying to get a new contract. Um, and then uh, he spoke at that night and said, hey, he doesn't think he's going to get to the mountaintop with us. I may not get there with you. But I'm going to get there. Them, I've seen Go ahead, buddy. Finish it off. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. You energize. But I've seen it. the mountain. That's right. The spirit is in the room. So I love it. Exactly. And, you know, the thing about it, he passed away. If it wasn't the next, I think it was the next day because he, he, he was assassinated on April 4th, I believe it was. Um, and he spoke to um, the sanitation workers on April 3rd. Double way, you can check it out. But interesting that he... Um, he prophesied his own death and actually ended up dying uh, very shortly after that, which was very, very sad. Number 10, um, because of the success of the March on Washington, uh, the FBI basically started to wiretap. Got on the radar. Martin Luther King Jr., Okay. So federal authorities monitored the march on Washington closely, fearing violence, rioting. Okay, so what did they do? They they turned. Uh, they came up with a military operation called uh, code name Operation Steep Hill. They had nineteen thousand troops put on standby in the D.C. suburbs to quell what they thought was going to be rioting which didn't happen, right? Now, now, and again, when we had just in 2020, 21. It was. Oh, yeah, 2021, January 6th. When, 20 insurrection. When they had the insurrection, there was no troops. Nothing. There was none of that, right? Nothing. It was, oh, these are, these are patriots. These are peaceful. But let's not digress. But just to get you to see the fear mm -hmm. that they had of Martin Luther King Jr. when he first came out. Not when he, he was around, he was doing stuff, which we're going to dive into. But when he made that speech and had 250,000 people show up of all different colors, mm -hmm. of all different religions, you had Jewish people, you had Muslims, Latinos. you had rabbis, you, you know, you had the whole nine yards, right? And then so um, um, the FBI official Will, William Sullivan stated this, that King's powerful demagogic speech meant that we must mark him now as the most dangerous Negro of the future in this nation. Now think about that for a second. Okay. Let's park this for just one quick second. Okay. He has a, he comes, brings people together. Oh, well, you can't do that. Yeah. Right. He talks about, I have a dream. And then look, there were other 
people that spoke there. So he wasn't the only, he was the last speaker, right? There was other people that spoke there, right? And they all talked about, you know, let's get together. We want civil rights. It should be fair. We just want what the constitution states. These are what the 14th amendment Amendment, uh, uh, gives us all just regular stuff, right? He speaks. I have a dream, you know, the content of my character of my kids won't matter. I'm paraphrasing, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And because of that, he becomes the most dangerous Negro mm-hmm. for the future of this country. Of this country. Because he's having a speech of bringing people together. Making people aware. Okay? Think about that. That's dangerous. Okay? Think about that for a second. He didn't say, let's take over the country. He didn't say, you know, bear arms. He didn't, there was none of that. Okay? It was, hey. Rights that we should be given that is written in the Constitution. Okay? We're all, everything he he had done, did up to that point was all nonviolent stuff anyway. Okay? Which I'm going to dive into. But now he's marked. Okay? Now he's marked. And then not only that, what did they do? They set up wiretaps. Tapping his phone. Tapping his phone, his, house, his office, in the whole nine yards. And then... And, and to be fair, you know, uh, J. Edgar Hoover was the FBI director, but, you know, he got the okay from Robert Kennedy, who was the attorney general, mm-hmm. JFK's brother, mm-hmm. okay, who, just so everybody's clear, in 1968 ended up running for president and ended up basically chatting and trying to the same constituents, African-Americans, that now he was going to be able to back them. Okay, support them, right? But they put wiretaps, all right? And then here's the thing, though. They started saying he was a communist, okay? They started saying he was a communist because one of the things is they wanted to discredit him, okay? This was in... 1963, and it, went, it, it continued, especially when he spoke out about the Vietnam War, all right? It continued until his assass- assassination in 1968. But then 15 years later, which is number 11, Ronald Reagan signed the bill to make his birthday a national holiday. The only other American to earn this honor is George Washington. So let's back up for a second. 15, 20 years earlier, he was a communist. He was radical. He's dangerous to the, to, to the society. We gotta, we, 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 we don't know who he is. We gotta make sure we because we he 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 could he could he could bring people together and they can overthrow the government. This is the thought process. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then 15 years later, they make it make him make his birthday a national holiday. Why do I bring this up? Because history repeats itself. Okay. Anytime when a person of color shows up and they're talking about unity and they're, and they can bring a bunch of people together, they become dangerous. And then they try to discredit them. All right. And I'm, what about black lives matter? Now they're fascists. Okay, they're they're they that's the key here. So this is nothing new. It's always been this. But it's interesting. Years later, 
they recognize him as a holiday. And now let's be clear. I think the first first few years, only I think it was 15, 16 states yeah, that mean, didn't didn't recognize his birthday as a federal holiday. And eventually that ended up through time where now the whole country um, basically celebrates his birthday and rightfully so. Right. Um, so those are the, those are interesting. But just piggybacking on what I'm what uh, what I just got finished saying when I say rightfully so. Because I don't think um, that we we give him enough respect for what he went through. Okay, today people are off from work, banks are closed. Um, it's a three a three day weekend. Some people are skiing. Kids are off. Kids are off. They're chilling. If you're in a warm area, maybe you're making a barbecue. And those all and there's nothing wrong with those things. Those things are awesome, right? Those are great. Those are the things that 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 we do when we have, you know, holidays off. Right. And then obviously there will be um, certain type of uh, television shows that, you know, the movie, his biography, the movie and stuff to that nature. And then, look, let's be let's be fair too. there's other things that's going on where people are putting together different um, events and 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 really, you know, paying homage to him. But. The point I want to make here is I don't think everyone, and I'm talking everyone, really understands what he went through. Because a lot of times we focus on the I got a dream, I have a dream speech. We focus on some of those things. But we don't focus on the things that that the majority of us would never do. Would never do. And this is goes into why I say he he continues to inspire me today. Now, when I was a kid, I had two heroes. I take that back. I had three. My mother was my hero because she she was just awesome. She was tough. She loved me unconditionally, and she always pushed me to be the best. From a male standpoint, because I didn't have a father, Martin Luther King Jr. was my hero. Okay. And I'm going to tell you a little bit why. And the second person, the third person was Muhammad Ali. Those were my heroes. Okay. So, and I've never, ever delved away from Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther King Jr. being my hero because I know what he went through. Okay. I wasn't there, but I know what he went through. And so I want to dive in and I'm going to use one of the first things, and this goes to your point earlier double a where was his turning point i'm going to use one of the first things that when he came on the scene okay which to me should inspire us all okay so let's spend a few minutes here right so we're going to talk about the montgomery montgomery bus boycott that happened in 1955 and it lasted a year okay now let's back up a little bit because again i don't think i think some people know, but I don't think the majority of us really know. Okay. So in Alabama and in the South, you had Jim Crow segregation. That means blacks were, uh, could not do or not, uh, had the same rights as whites. And what do, when I say rights, what do I mean? Okay. Even just basic rights about being able to use a public bathroom. Mm-hmm being able to drink from any water fountain, okay? There was, it was supposedly called separate but equal. 
Okay. And it wasn't, it was never equal. Okay. So you couldn't, uh, if, if you walked down a sidewalk and a white person was on the sidewalk, you had to get off the sidewalk and walk in the street. Okay. This is what I'm talking about here. And let's be clear here. This ain't the 1800s. I'm just going to give you in the 1950s, which was only 70 years ago. So in other words, there's uh, 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 somebody's grandmother, okay, or grandfather, or excuse me, great-grandmother who experienced, who's still alive today, that experienced what I'm saying, okay? Think about that for a second. Two, three generations ago, okay? They experienced this. They grew up this way. Okay, you these are the things you could not do. If you got on the bus, you had to get in the back. You couldn't come through the front door of the bus, the the front. You had to get in the side door, the back door, side door of the bus. And then you there was a colored section. Okay, and you had to sit in that section. And then if the white section got full, the white person can get on the bus. They can come in the back and then you would have to give up your seat to sit and let them sit down, even though you were there first on our yards. Okay. So let's just be clear here. This the way it was. All right. Now MLK moves to Montgomery. He's not there that long. However, Rosa Parks was on a bus and said, you know what? And then a white person said, hey, bus driver comes back and says, you got to get up, let her, let this person sit down. She's like, I ain't doing it, right? I'm not doing it. And she got arrested, okay? Now, let's be clear. Rosa Parks, everybody knows Rosa Parks, but rightfully so. But there was a couple other people who did the exact same thing prior to her. But because of her background, because of her standing in the community, in the black community, they looked at this as this was their time to really push back, okay? So she got arrested. The black ministers got together. They bailed her out. They had been meeting with the, the city of Montgomery, the mayor, who was W.A. Gale. They had met with them multiple times to try to get them to change their policy in terms of riding the bus. Okay. And here's the kicker. They wasn't even trying to say, Hey, look, let us get on the front, the front of the bus, or they weren't even looking to make, they were looking to make concessions. And they said, no. So they bail Rosa Parks out of jail. The, Black ministers get together and they all come and say, look, let's have a one day protest that all uh, black people here in Montgomery, Alabama, do not ride the bus for one day. Now, here's the here's the thing that people don't know. Seventy five percent of the ridership. On the buses in Montgomery were by black people. 75%, and I could be wrong, might have been 90%, but I think 75. So 40,000 black people were using the bus consistently to get to work, to do whatever. So they have a one-day boycott. Now, here's the thing. When they have the boycott, 
all the local black leaders, including Ralph Albernacki, King, they all got together. And uh, on, um, they met together at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church and agreed to do this one-day boycott. Now, yeah, here's my numbers here. 90% on December 5th, because Rosa Parks was uh, arrested on December 1st. On December 5th, 90% of Montgomery black citizens stayed off the buses. Later that afternoon, the ministers and leaders met to discuss the possibility of extending the boycott into a long-term campaign. During this meeting, Dr. King was elected spokesperson, okay, of this boycott, okay? So let's be clear here. Dr. King didn't say, hey, guess what? I'll, I'll step up. I'll, I'll do this, you know? No, he was new to town, and this is one of the reasons why they picked him, because he was new to town. He didn't have any enemies. They didn't have anything on him. Okay, and then if it didn't work out, he could move away because Dr. King came to start his own flock, work at, I mean, be a minister at a church. That's what he's there for. Okay, now they say, we want you to be the spokesperson and be our person out front on this issue. Now, let's be clear here. It's not be the spokesperson for a new uh, 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 commercial, okay? Or be a spokesperson, you know, to 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 talk about, you know, um, liberty, 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 liberty. Okay, he's talking about being a sports a, a spokesperson for something that you could die for, you could be killed for, which I'm going to get into. Okay. The majority of us, when somebody reaches out and says, we want you, we immediately be like, I don't think I'm good enough to do this. Who would have? Black people were getting lynched, killed. Not only that, if you did have a great job or you had a good business, it would be ruined. As soon as they got wind that you're going to lead this, oh, the bank, if you had a loan, a mortgage, they would call the loan in. All right, just to keep you passive, just to keep you subservient to what was going on, the way of life in the South. Okay, so Dr. King, he could have easily said, well, look, I didn't sign up for this. I came here and brought my family. I just want to be a minister at my local church. And that's it. This is dangerous. No, he didn't say that. He stood up when we talk about turning points. Right. So the thing was that evening at a meeting at the Holt Street Baptist Church, Dr. King, first time he spoke, okay, he didn't back down. First time he spoke, what does he say? I want it to be known that we're going to work with the grim and bold determination to gain justice on the buses in this city. And we are not wrong. If we are wrong, the Supreme Court of this nation is wrong. If we were wrong, the Constitution of the United States is wrong. And if we are wrong, God Almighty is wrong. 
Okay? First, come right out the gate. Boom. Okay? Was he thinking uh, 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 March on Washington? No. Was he? He probably was thinking, how I'm going to stay alive. Okay? Because let me tell you what happened. All right? So, the bottom line is, is that they met, Dr. King met, and a few of, 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 of the contingent met with the city. And they said, hey, look, this is all we want. We want courteous treatment by bus operators because the bus operators will be called all type of names and, and treated like dogs in the whole nine yards by the white constituents. Okay. We want first come first serve seating for all. All right. And then they were like with blocks sitting in the rear. So they're not even saying, Hey, we want to sit wherever on the bus. We just, we just will sit in the back, but we just want first come first serve. So whoever comes on first gets a seat. And if, if you come on and the bus is, 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 is crowded, you got to stand up. Okay. And they wanted uh, uh, the black bus drivers to stop at uh, every corner in the predominantly black neighborhoods like they do in the white neighborhoods. In the black neighborhoods, the buses didn't stop at every stop. And on, they would stop. You would have to get off, you know, four blocks down from where your house is or where you were going. Where in the white neighborhood, they would stop at every corner. Okay? So they're they trying to compromise. Guess what? The city's like, we ain't doing it. No. <laughs> okay? <laughs> we ain't doing it. Okay? So they were like, then guess what? We're not going to ride these buses again. All right? So all the black community mobilized together. Okay? And came up with a, a develop, developed a, a carpool system, about 300 cars, because everybody didn't have cars. You got, and this is the thing. Let's, let's just go back in time here. There was a ton of people that their jobs was more in the service area. You know, mothers were maids going, walking from their neighborhood, okay, where they lived at, to go to the white neighborhood to take care of their households and their kids, okay? People who had jobs, who caught, they would catch the bus to do that. So they were like, we're not doing that no more. So just to be fair here, who would have did that today? Who would, who would, number one, band all together, okay? Number two, all of a sudden say, guys, we got to, we got to, we got to, we got to do something. Okay. We got, and, and, and one of the most toughest segregated cities in the United States at that time. Okay. And then they, the, 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 the black taxi driver said, Hey, we'll help out. The bus affair was 10 cents. So the taxi driver said, we'll only charge you 10 cents to take you wherever you want to go. The city got wind of that and started penalizing the black taxi drivers. Now, you still going to ride our bus regardless. We ain't giving you nothing. Okay? Now, Dr. King, again, he took on something he didn't have to do. All right? In ni early 1956, his house was bombed with his three kids in the house and his wife bombed because all he's for busing for to be able to sit on a bus. He didn't sign up for that. He could have easily said, you know what, guys, I hear you. But at the end of the day, I can't put my family at risk for this. I got to back out. 
good luck. Let me know how it turns out. Or, you know what? I'm going to move out of town. I got to go. And most people would have did that. Okay? Most people would have did that. People came out of his house. They're trying to find out, came to his house trying to find out, was he okay? You know what he says? He says to the crowd, be calm as I and my family are. We are not hurt. And remember that if anything happens to me, there'll be others to take my place. Determined. When you talked about turning points. That was it. Tur- determined. They're trying to kill me. Think, let's just back up a second. Let's stay here for a second. A knock at midnight. They're not asking. They wasn't asking for half of the wealth of the city. Okay? They wasn't, they wasn't saying, hey, we're going to go to war if we don't get this. They just said, hey, if you won't let us come on, first come, first serve, we'll even sit in the back, just help, you know, just meet a compromise here for the buses, right? They, they bombed this house to try to kill him for that. Who would have stuck up with that? Who would have dealt? I, 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 could I? I probably wouldn't have. Okay? Who would deal with that? Okay? And then that didn't stop. What else did they do? The city officials obtained objunctions against the boycott in February 1956 and indicted over 80 boycott leaders under a 1921 law prohibiting conspiracies that interfere with lawful business. So in other words, they got arrested and basically thrown in jail and said, hey, it's illegal to to be in charge of a boycott of a business. All right? So by any means necessary, they want to break this up so the black people can use, still spend money on their buses, but they don't want to change in their ways. Think of, just think about that for a second. We ain't changing. And matter of fact, we're going to force you to use our buses the way we want you to use them. Now he's in jail. And guess what? Because he's the spokesperson, they pick him out. He was convicted. All right. And was ordered to pay $500 or serve 386 years. I mean, excuse me, years, 86 days in jail at hard labor. Because they just wanted to ride the bus like everybody else. He didn't sign up to go to jail. He didn't sign up to put his family at risk to die. But he stood steadfast. He didn't let his, he didn't back out of the commitment that he made. Nine times out of 10, the majority of us would never do that. We're going to celebrate his birthday. We're going to be off. We think about how many, how much could you deal with? When people are spitting at you, they're throwing stones at you. He almost was assassinated is one of the unknown facts and I skipped it, but he almost got assassinated when he was signing a book in Harlem. All right. A few years after this, and a lady comes up with a, a letter opener and stabs him. And he almost died from that. Who could deal with that? The pressure and then carrying the weight of a whole race on his shoulders. He didn't raise his hand and say, I want to do this. And he took it. He took it. And he did it. And 
for what he went through and what he endured and how he did it. And he did it with class. He did it with love. He talked about nonviolence when he was getting stoned and bombed. Okay? And I wouldn't be where I am today. A lot of us in the African-American community wouldn't be where we are today. And this, to be fair, my white brothers and sisters, you wouldn't be where, are you, where you are today, too, because he helped us all start coming together. And he helped make awareness of how evil segregation was. I mean, for me, we waver on anything today. Commitment, what does that mean? We don't know. We say we're committed, but soon as the wind starts blowing a little tough, we're like, I can't do that. Can't do it. I hear you, buddy. I, that's what I thought in the beginning, but it's too tough. We don't say that. We'll come up with some other excuses, okay? That is for real. And so we have to give this man on his birthday, a, a lot more respect than we do. Here's the thing. They stuck, they stuck with this for a year, not riding the bus, a year, when that was the primary transportation in that town, in that city. And then on December 20th, the Supreme Court, a year later, May, upheld the lower court's ruling that uh, segregation on buses was unconstitutional. And the boycott stopped, stopped at that time frame. So they were able to complete their mission. Not, it wasn't easy. Or, and, and again, I'm just telling you some stuff on a higher level. What about the people who had jobs, they ended up losing their job, their livelihood, because they wouldn't ride the bus. Okay? What about the businesses that had loans and the white bankers called their loans because they wouldn't ride the bus? Okay? There's a ton of people that was affected by just trying to get their God-given constitutional rights of the country, nothing more. So it was a huge sacrifice, right? And then this is what I love what he said when the bus, the bus boycott ended. He said, he said, next morning he boarded an integrated bus with Ralph Albernack, Athney, E.D. Nixon, and Glenn Smiley. King said of the boy, bus boycott, we came to see that in the long run, it was more honorable to walk in dignity than ride in humiliation. So we decided to substitute tired feet for tired souls and walk the streets of Montgomery. Think about that. I mean, this man, and, and this is just one section of the things that he dealt with from 1955 till he was assassinated in 1968. Don't you don't you, don't we don't we think that he would want to live for his kids? Don't you think he wanted to be a father and see his kids grow up and uh, graduate high school, get married, have his grandchildren like we all do? But he sacrificed. He knew that 
eventually he would be killed. And he sacrificed all of us, all of us. So those are the reasons that I'm inspired by him because I wouldn't be where I am today. My family wouldn't have what we have today if it wasn't for a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, the thing is, is this, Double A, I know you talked about turning points and we all have them. The thing is, is it a turning point or is it an inconvenience? And when you have a real turning point, that's when you say, you know what? I ain't doing this no longer. I don't care what come up. I'm done. You know what? I didn't know about this. I wasn't aware, but now I am. It ain't going to ever happen to me again. I learned from that. So I can't speak for him in terms of what his turning point was. I'm just going off of what I knew he went through coming on into this, coming into the scene. And I could imagine that was one, but he could have had multiple way before that time frame. But for me, that was very significant. And here's the, the things that I, the words that I throw in when I say I'm inspired by him. And, and, and even that story, number one, he stepped up. He didn't have to. He stepped up. And he, didn't, he stepped up for his fellow human beings. Number two, he became uncomfortable. Okay, I remember um, and I saw this in the scene of a movie, but when they went in and I don't know how accurate it was, but when they first went in to make their uh, uh, demands to, to the city of uh, Montgomery and uh, he they start he started chatting with the city council and then they started pushing back really hard and he didn't know what to say. He was like stumped. And then he came back and uh, they said, how did it go? And he's and I'm paraphrasing. He said, well, first. You got first, we have to we have to get rid of the slave mind. We have to believe that this is really we really deserve this because you can't go ask for something that you don't think you deserve. I never I never forgot that. I thought that was all. so he was uncomfortable and he had to by being uncomfortable. He grew. And when he grew, he helped us all grow the adversity that he dealt with. From the beginning to the end, he had a million reasons to back out. A million. And who would have blamed him? All right? Who would have blamed him? But he didn't let that stop him because he saw this as an opportunity to make a change in the United States for every human being. Every human being. When they're wiretapping you. They're calling you a communist. They're bombing your house. I can't imagine what his kids went through. His wife went through. Just think about the adversity. But here's the, here's the kicker. He was all about love. And he showed love. Even through all the negativity that came his way. Even through the violence that came his way. He still showed love for not only his fellow human being, but also for the people that was who 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 who, gave, who was against him from a, a violent standpoint. Okay, most of us wouldn't do that. And then, more importantly, his "I dream," I I have a dream speech speaks to this other word, vision. 
He had vision. He didn't see what this country was at that moment. He saw what it could be in the future. And so those are the five things, the five words that inspire me. You know, the thing that bothers me the most is, and you see this on television or radio or there's a documentary, and, and, and I'm pretty sure um, if you look today, um, you're going to see it too. It's like, you know, what do we need to do to make uh, Dr. King's dream come real? Okay, what do we need to do, you know, to make his dream come real? My question is, do you really want it to become real? Because that's an easy thing to do. It, 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 it's not like putting an astronaut on Mars. Okay, this is easy to do. Each and every human being has to want that dream. And if each and every human being wants that dream, then each and every human being would work on their, their, their personal self to make that happen. Each and every human being will make themselves, they will step up and say, you know what? This is, guess what? We've been doing this for too long. It's time for us to come together as people and race shouldn't be an issue. They would be uncomfortable because yes, they're not, haven't spent time with other people from other races or sexuality or whatever the case may be. But by being uncomfortable and, and be willing to, to delve in that, they would then eventually become comfortable. And then obviously from an adversity standpoint, there's going to be people pushing back and says, I don't want none of that. Or I don't believe that. Or what case may be. And guess what? That's fine. But you know what? We want to make this dream come true. So guess what? I'm willing to deal with the adversity. And then the other word was love. You're doing this because you love your fellow brother and sister, no matter what they look like. You love your kids because you want them to grow up in a world that will treat them no different than they're, they're treating their neighbor, no matter how they look or how smart they are or whatever the case may be. You, and then the people that push back, you still love them where they are. And then the final thing is that vision. If we all can have that vision and visualize, if we all did this on a daily basis, where we would be as a town, city, state, country, and a world. So that's what I wanted to share with you today on a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Martin Luther King Jr., unknown facts and how he he inspired me double a final thoughts my friend oh i mean you know the way he inspired me you know was in seventh grade you know learning about the civil rights movement and he when i really think about it when i was thinking about this you know he really was the beginning of my journey of self-discovery that's when i started thinking about who i was uh, as a Hispanic male, uh, Latinx male, and a Puerto Rican at the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful for Dr. King. Well, that's awesome, my friend. Um, I think he inspired a lot of people. And and I know, even though I'm we're chatting about this today, I know there's a ton of people that do have that uh, mad respect for him. Um, but I just think for today, we want to make sure that everyone's clear in terms of the things that he brought to the table. And we just talked about just a small portion of all the things that he has done. So I think it's time for Tony's tidbit. So 
For Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, I would be remiss just to give one quote because he had multiple quotes that I thought were fascinating. I thought they were thought provoking and and I I carry some of these wherever I go. So guess what? I'm going to go, I'm going to give you more than one tidbit today. All right? right. But these are all by Martin Luther King Jr. First one, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Number two, our lives begin to end the day we became silent about things that matter. I love that. Number three, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. We kind of spoke a little bit about that. Number four, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. That's why this is why right temporary defeat is stronger than evil triumph and then finally and this will close out our podcast we must live together as brothers or perish together as fools Mm. and all those were from dr martin luther king jr so i hope you enjoyed this episode of a black executive perspective podcast martin luther king jr 11 unknown facts and why he inspired me today Please continue to follow A Black Executive Perspective on all the social platforms at Tony Tidbit, B-E-P, and you can subscribe, give us a rating at A Black Executive Perspective Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For my energetic 2024 executive producer, Double A, I'm Tony Tidbit. We love you, we talked about it, and we're out. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Tony Tidbit, A Black Executive Perspective, and for joining in today's conversation. With every story we share, every conversation we foster, and every barrier we address, we can ignite the sparks that bring about lasting change. And this carries us one step closer to transforming the face of corporate America. If today's episode resonated with you, Consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share this episode with your circle, and with your support, we can reach more people and tell more stories.